0: Hello, and welcome to Clark Hill's Credit go to Go, Curbside Thought Leadership for Financial Services. And welcome to 2021 and our first episode of the year. Uh, my name is Joanne Needleman. I'm a partner at Clark Hill, as well as a member of the firm's banking and financial services practice group. I am very honored today to be joined by Todd Zwicky, Professor of Law at Anton Scalia Law School at George Mason, as well as a fellow, Senior Fellow at the Cato Institute. Todd served as Director of the policy Office of Policy Planning at the FTC in the early 2000s. He is one of the foremost authorities on consumer finance, authoring numerous articles, books, and treatises within the past two decades. Todd has testified before Congress, especially during the development and implementation of the Dodd-Frank Act. This past year, Todd served as chair of the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau's Task Force on Federal Consumer Financial Law. The task force issued its much-anticipated report last week, and we will discuss that report today. Todd, thank you for coming on to Credit Ego to Go.
1: Thank you, Joanne. Happy New Year.
0: Happy New Year to you, too. So, first... Talk to me, if you can, a little bit of the genesis of the task force and why it was put together.
1: Well, I want to congratulate uh, Director Kathy Craninger for uh, for for thinking of this idea, and I want to thank her for giving me the uh, honor and opportunity to uh, to lead the task force. Uh, she was great the whole time. the The whole vision of it was great, and um, one of the things she said at the beginning that was very important to me in deciding to accept the uh, position. is she said, "I want an independent analysis of the uh, world," and and I can't thank her enough for 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 following through on that promise of uh, giving us running room. Uh, this came about, it turns out, this isn't the first time we've had something like this. Um, it's like uh, in, in about every 50 years, it turns out we've had this. So back in the 1920s is where we sort of had the onset of the modern consumer finance system is people left the farms and immigrants came to the United States. Uh, we need a new consumer finance system to deal with wage earners and that sort of thing. And so there's a great reform movement at that time, spearheaded by the Russell Sage Foundation and led to the Uniform Small Loan Law that kind of modernized the system. And then in the 1960s and 70s, the great pressure at that point really came about in the changes in the market for financial services. We started seeing credit cards marketed across state lines, Mm -hmm. even technological developments that you don't think about, like declining cost of long distance telephone calls, made the old patchwork state-by-state system of debt collection regulation uh, more difficult because you could harass people across state lines. So there was a call at that point to modernize the consumer financial system to deal with the fact that the system was more mature and more national. And so we saw the great growth of national legislation and regulation in the 60s and 70s. And it's kind of piled up piecemeal since then, over the last 50 years. And of course, you know we've had the Dodd-Frank uh, uh, legislation. And so this was not only the 50th uh, anniversary, more or less, of the NCCF, but also the 10th anniversary of the CFPB. And I think Director Kraninger thought, I mean, the world is no longer, international, right? The world is now the internet. It's everywhere. People shop differently. They take in information differently. They use different products. You use the internet. And the pandemic has just accelerated a lot of these uh, these transitions. So I think she should really be applauded for her vision and seeing that it was time to take a systematic look at this. Um, our report, it's a consensus report. We were thinking 10, 20 years out framework for the future, much like the NCCF did. Um, and that was sort of our vision throughout.
0: Yeah. You know, it was, it, let me congratulate you. I mean, it's it's an utterly comprehensive report. There, there, There isn't a stone that you haven't left unturned, that is for sure. But what struck me, and as you said, you know, every 50 years, we get thinking about this. But as I look at the report, and I did read uh, the NCCF report that you did attach as an appendix, And the principles that were discussed back in 1968 and then again in 72 when the report was issued are the same principles that we should be embracing today, namely inclusion, education, consumer protection. So... You know, when I look at it, I'm like, boy, nothing really has changed. Well, I think I think that's right,
1: Joanne, which is that the goals, uh, the vision, uh, the hopes that all of us have for a financial system that works for everybody right on financial inclusion, that protects consumers effectively and efficiently um, while, uh, you know, uh, encouraging competition um, and choice. um, I think that's all right. And that was one of the things that was quite striking to me, too, when I sat down and read the NCCF report is how many things I already been thinking about, they had thought about. And so one of the things I hope that does is a creates the opportunity for buy-in from everybody to recognize this is a uh, non-partisan worldview, right? We can share the belief and come together on the idea that inclusion matters, that consumer protection matters, that competition um, and choice for consumers matters. And so, you know, as I said, you know, we were, we, we, we were aware we were writing this in an election year and we weren't writing it for, you know, whatever administration might uh, uh, might have been planning on coming in in January, we were writing it as a, as a framework for the future to think about how do we create a system that both changes or adapts to the world as it has changed over the last 50 years, but also creates a framework so it can adapt to the future world as it goes forward to be more flexible, uh, more responsive, Um, deal better with the kind of crises we've seen, right? We've had three major crises in 20 years, between 9-11 the 2008 financial crisis in in, in the pandemic. And, you know, we we just got to come up. And and unfortunately, I think we just have to accept that those probably aren't going to be the last crises we're going to have. So having a system that's pliable and adaptable and flexible to changes in technology, the world is accelerating at an accelerating rate. And so I think these are all goals that everybody should be able to share.
0: I, I agree. So let's talk a little bit about some of the recommendations. You, you have about, uh, I think, 13 or 14 a, a lot. But I want to focus on, I think, three that are important. And one is the inclusion. And I, I say inclusion empowerment because I think education and inclusion are very tied together. Um, you also make recommendations about, I, I, I call it bureau re- reorganization. I don't know necessarily if it's reorganization, but, you know, some maybe effective change to the bureau, things that they can think about or do differently. And then I think the big elephant in the room is, is the fintech and innovation. And that was, innovation was a big deal back in 68, you know, whatever those innovations were, but you can't get, you can't ignore that. And, and, and I think to and I'm sure you're aware, in 2018, Treasury issued uh, a couple reports based on some executive orders, which I thought were very good. I have both those reports, I you know, they're, they're in my... In, on the on the side of my desk and they're great reference points to really, I think they really looked at statutory regu- regulatory framework and how there was such tension between that and trying to do innovation, how you're going to fit that square peg into a round hole. And I think you guys did a good job in talking about that as well. So I'd love you to expand on that. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, well, thanks thanks for that, and uh, um, I'll, I'll address each of those first, the consumer empowerment and education, and I'll deal with each of them briefly, which is, yeah. uh, on, on that point, that was kind of a, a, a funny thing. As, as you know, we sent out RFIs, we got a lot of comments, we met with mm-hmm. a lot of people, um, and we simultaneously got uh, two feedbacks, uh, which is consumer education is completely useless, um, yeah. that uh, consumers are are hopeless, um, and other people say consumer education is the, uh, the, the, uh, the key to everything. Right. Um, and so what we tried to do in the report was go through and rigorously assess what works, what doesn't work, what is possible, what's not possible. And what we've seen is um, historically we spent a lot of money on consumer financial ca- education and haven't had a lot to show for it. Um, we think that now that, that is changing, but a lot of what it is is just being realistic uh, consumers for, and, and, and what we could try to do, right? Teaching consumers in high school to know exactly, Exactly whether to invest in a Roth or a traditional IRA when they're 33, um, <laughs> that, that's not going to work. Yeah. Teaching people how to keep a budget, keeping teaching people better financial habits that can become routine seems like it works. Um, and so being realistic about what we can do. But the other point is, is it really is important from the standpoint that The world is changing so rapidly that getting financial education right is more important now than ever for people to have a general toolkit to be able to deal with the world as it changes. Um, The second point, I'm really glad you picked up on the Bureau Reorganization point because it always gratifies my heart uh, when I talk to very experienced and knowledgeable uh, uh, practitioners in this area, Joanne, that you're not... Just focusing on the razzmatazz and razzle-dazzle uh, that gets the headlines uh, in various right. places. This is one of the things we thought was really important is um, the Bureau is a fascinating uh, entity in the sense that um, we identify five tools, um, yes. rulemaking, enforcement, supervision, uh, consumer education, and research. Yeah. I, we're not aware of any agency, consumer protection agency in the world that has all, the, all five tools. The FTC has, has
0: any agency, I mean, EPA, any agency, right. You know, that kind of education or, you know, how to make a better environment. Absolutely not. I mean, it's very multifaceted and, 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 and very well, I mean, there's such depth in each of those divisions. They're not just there for, you know, as, as a shelf life.
1: That that's right. But if you look at the FTC, right, they have very limited rulemaking authority, no supervision, right. Um, right. and so what we sort of say is, you got all these tools, but but think about how to put them all together, right? Uh, right? Try to and so putting those two observations together, one of the points we make is, that education is important but education can do some things well and some things not as well. So there's a lot of places where we don't want to try to trust consumers to protect themselves. We, yeah. That's why we have consumer financial protection system. Now let's figure out what's the best way to do that. Is it through enforcement? What we Where we come down is we say basically rulemaking should be more principles oriented to create a framework. A lot of financial services regulation, as you well know, and probably pays your mortgage, is a, a <laughs> highly prescriptive, very yeah. rule oriented. Yeah. The industry likes it that way, uh, very disclosure-focused, but not obviously always the thing that works for consumers, right? Nobody reads all the disclosures uh, okay. they get, right? Okay. And so getting the tool mix right, getting those uh, orientations right. And we argued that they should reorient around markets um, because that's the way consumers pop. Right. Um, uh, Rather than tools. Um, The last point um, is the fintech and innovation point. And um, and we as a group really we, we were saw this as really compelling right? In yeah. terms of financial inclusion, in terms of even the, the research is very clear now that while there's concerns about uh, discrimination, fintech is quite clearly become a vehicle for increasing competition and reducing, um, uh, you know, discrimination and the like, according to the, uh, to the um, um, empirical research, right? So we really believe in fintech as a mechanism for inclusion, innovation, um, we see it during this period of uh, of uh, the pandemic where people have totally changed their habits. Alternative data is a huge part of this in terms of turning credit invisibles into credit uh, visibles. It raises all kinds of new concerns, um, data privacy and data security. We have a whole chapter on that. And it was funny that you referred to the NCCF on that um, because the whole last chapter of the NCCF uh, is this huge discussion of these newfangled things called, quote, compute Computers, unquote, right, <laughs> right. Uh, and all the opportunities and risks that they present to consumers.
0: <laughs> well, what's you know, as I said, what's amazing is is you read that doc and ha- document, how visionary it was. It really, I mean, from 1968, I mean, it really saw and really forecasted what the, you know, what the turbulence was going to be for consumer finance moving forward, unless you built an infrastructure that was going to address it. I thought that was, it was fascinating. Totally. I don't know how old I was when that was written, but you know, I mean, it's just it's fascinating, really, really fascinating.
1: So I, yeah, and one of the neat things about this, uh, you know, the task force, my co-task force members, uh, Howard Beals, um, Tom Durkin, uh, Bill McLeod, Gene Noonan. This was really a team production, and our staff was unbelievable. Um, I yeah. don't know if they had any idea what they were signing up for because. Uh, sure. Uh, because this wasn't your typical government work in terms of what we were asking them to uh, uh, to do. Um, our, our staff director referred to task force time, uh, which was uh, <laughs> it, you know was all, hurry up but but one of the things that was cool was Tom Durkin, um, our you know one of the task force members, actually worked. he did his as a graduate student, he wrote a report for the NCCF. <laughs> so he has that continuity, really neat.
0: These are people who have had, um, I, I know that Howard Beale and Jean Noon both were at the FTC. You were at the FTC, um, and I can't speak about the others and and, and their backgrounds. And it's Bill my,
1: McLeod was the, also the head of the Bureau of uh, Consumer Protection at the FTC. Yeah,
0: but they all brought their perspectives, and certainly rich perspectives and well-versed perspectives, and I think that's important, Um to, to bring some, you know, understanding of, of where we go from here and and what we need to look for. So I, I, I was, I had remember seeing most of them, um, not last summer, but the summer before at the CFPB when you all did the UDAP um, thing, which was great. And I, you know, I thought that that was a really healthy discussion uh, about UDAP and how to frame it. And that's obviously going to be a big issue going forward. Um, but I would be... Before we kind of look forward, um, one other point I wanted to raise is, and you had said this in um, when you were doing the debrief at the CFPB, is that the task force came to the conclusion that credit is a good thing. And I do, you know, I personally, my personal belief is, yeah, I think it, it, it allows elevation, it allows people to grow, but obviously it has to be used wisely. But that is not a consensus. Uh, you know, I think if you look at the whole consumer finance world, if you look what advocates think, they see credit sometimes as a very bad thing. So how do you, how do we get to that consensus ground of how to use credit and use it wisely and why it is a good thing?
1: Great question, uh, Joanne. And and the. And, uh... The the report is divided into three parts. Uh, the, the first volume, which is 798 pages. Uh, the first part is, is research on economics and history. The second sort of is the catalyst for how to think about consumer protection, sort of consumer protection, um, uh, information and disclosure, obviously, which is big in this area, competition, innovation, and inclusion. And the last part is sort of emerging issues and regulatory flexibility and modernization the first part of the report is the first part of the report and it's large and dense for a reason which it is it is our brief to answer your question, mm-hmm. uh, which is it documents the growth in consumer finance, and beyond that, what it does is it very rigorously and systematically goes through a century's worth of economic evidence on consumer on uh, on consumer finance, why consumers use economics, and hopefully persuades people who want to be persuaded or are open minded as to why why credit is good, why credit in a in a well functioning competitive Market with uh, with proper consumer protection is a good thing, and access to financial products is uh, is is a good thing. I won't try to summarize the argument here, but um, but we but we explain you know, in you know hundred, several hundred pages the underlying economics of consumer credit with the idea of hopefully reminding people of lessons that have been learned in the past and basically justifying that uh, that conclusion.
0: Well, thank you for that. That may ask one of my last few questions. Um, I understand framing that argument and what you did in the report, but how would you like to see the conversation being framed using this report going forward?
1: I think um, you know for for us the thing that um, so uh, so when we were preparing to do the um, to do the, uh, the the presentation, basically we had a uh, an arm wrestling match over who got to talk about inclusion uh, <laughs> because um, inclusion and access immediately became, I mean, that's, as you know, that's been a passion of mine. I believe it's a moral imperative uh, to, to yeah. for, for inclusion and access. And all of us felt very, very strongly about that, about, you know, the system works pretty well for most middle-class consumers these days, but there are people yeah. who've been left out and there's people for whom there are, you know, great potential for alternative data, um, FinTech, all these different sorts of things, allowing charters for uh, industrial loan companies so that Walmart can uh, who you yeah. know is fintech, but but the WalMarts of the world to get into uh, to these uh, to these things to allow non-banks access to the payment system, faster payments by the Federal Reserve. Right? So many of the things that motivated us in this are um in, uh, oriented around inclusion, and even some of the areas where we talk about considering regulatory amendments and the like. In the end, we come down that basically they're they're bad for competition and inclusion. And we basically say, we look at the evidence in a very detailed way and we say, it looks here like this is a, a, a regulation or a law that's having a real detrimental impact on uh, on inclusion for excluded uh, people. So, so I hope people take that as one overarching vision is let's be really serious about uh, about inclusion and what we can do for people. I right. think the second thing would be this this point that we can all agree on, which is the need for regulatory modernization. Um, yeah. It's ridiculous to show up in a mortgage. Closing with a stack of documents like that that nobody reads. It's ridiculous every time you go to a web page and you get a pop up window that you consent to uh, whatever their disclosures are that you never read, right? Mm-hmm. People are buried in paperwork. There's too much stuff. And so thinking about how we protect consumers um, uh, in, in, in the best way using different tools. So we mm-hmm. say, for example, truth and lending, which has been said to have 30 something different purposes, we say the overarching purpose of truth and lending in uh, those disclosures should be to facilitate shopping uh, by consumers. Right. And all the other things are important, but let's think about the, the the extent to which trying to accomplish all these odds and ends of different purposes interferes with that basic purpose for uh, for consumers. So we hope that streamlining um, things, embracing technology the way that consumers embrace technology, um, we hope that that's something that everybody can agree on.
0: Right. Do you think there will be further uh, research and work by the task force going forward?
1: Uh, the task force is done. Uh, okay. We submitted our resignations on Friday. <laughs> I am the ex—I am the former uh, ex-emeritus task force uh, chairman. Uh, my my wife gets a big smile on her face every time I say that because okay. uh, because the task force report I think has been our fourth child uh, for the uh, <laughs> for Sorry. the past yeah. year, requiring more attention. Uh, But uh, but yes, but what we hope is and one of the things that's interesting, Gene, is that uh, um, uh, Joanne, I'm sorry, uh, is that uh, um, the the largest single tranche of recommendations we have is for research. Right. Research on ways to better uh, promote financial inclusion by rural consumers, research on how to to protect uh, uh, incarcerated and formerly incarcerated uh, um, uh, individuals. Right. The problem of identity theft for people in prison is a big problem because they can't readily check their credit report. Right. right? They come out of prison. They have no credit uh, record. Right. Mm -hmm. The problem of uh, of immigrants getting access. I mean, a lot of these things are problems we point out that we don't have ready solutions for, but are really important pressing uh, uh, problems. And we really hope policymakers make the investment in the research uh, to solve and address a lot of these uh, these problems.
0: It's really fascinating. I I think we're going to be talking about this report, hopefully for years to come. And I think it's a great uh, template for us and a reference to keep going back to uh, as we have these discussions. So thank you for Thank you and your team for all the work that they did and uh, it's, it's, it's occupying a big part of my uh, of, of my shelves right now. but it, I have it close by because I know I'm always going to be referring to it. So uh, before I let you go, um, we've, we've been doing credity go to go now for uh, I started I started a podcast in the middle of the pandemic. I'm not sure if that was a good or bad thing, but so far so good. Um, so when our guests come on I, we want to have a, a little fun with them and not talk about dry dry financial regulation stuff all the time. Um, so one question I ask my uh, guests is, you know, we've all been sitting at home, you've been sharing some of your stories with me as well. Uh, I ask all my guests to share uh, some sort of experience that they've had while sheltering a in place. Initially, it was a to-go experience because it's, to, it's a to-go theme podcast, but any experience that uh, you would like to share with our audience, I'm, I'm sure we would appreciate it. I've, we've had some really good stories, so I'll put you on the spot.
1: <laughs> All right well first I want to say congratulations on the podcast I've been counting the days uh till yeah. I was uh eligible to come on your podcast <laughs> your earlier one so uh so congratulations and thanks for doing this it's uh it's a wonderful thing so um so I'm not sure that my experience is that exciting but obviously like many people one of the things that's been um uh, 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 to some extent, a mitigating or almost silver lining of the um, uh, of the pandemic is the chance uh, for our kids to come home from college and spend time right. with them and that sort of thing. And right. so, I would say, our in 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 that spirit, um, I got a pinball machine.
0: So. <laughs> That's great. That's great. <laughs> so my daughter and I. They your kids like it because, you know, that generation, they're like, pinball what? They have no idea.
1: And that's the thing, Joanne, is that oh, everybody loves pinball and it involves no screens. Uh, right. But, there uh, you go. but but my daughter and I used to go to an ice cream shop up here uh in Falls Church uh that had a pinball machine that um it's not been open uh and managed to find on Facebook Marketplace a uh a, a pinball oh, that's great the Simpsons pinball machine uh that uh, that we got. So oh. we've had some good family bonding time away from screens.
0: So. Oh that's a great story, Todd. And you know, fun, here's another funny story. When I first met you. I think your daughter was in middle school uh, because we were at that symposium at GW and you had to leave because you had to go pick her up and you had to take <laughs> her to whatever after-school activity she needed to be. And now she's in college. So, That's that, so that, that, sounds was right. that was from 20 20- high school. Now. So that was a long time ago. Uh, great story. Um, finally, Todd, in uh, consideration of your time and coming onto the podcast um, what we have been doing is asking our guests to identify either a local, regional, or even national organization that is helping folks you know, during the pandemic um, can be in any way. And what we do is uh, make a small donation uh, on your behalf. And I hope you have an organization you can identify.
1: I, sh- I sure do. Um, there's an organization here in Arlington, Virginia, called Doorways Shelters. Um, as you know one of the uh, in unfortunate impacts of the uh, uh, the pandemic and particularly the lockdowns um and people being at home is that there's been this tragic increase in uh, domestic abuse yeah. um and sure. um and this is a group that serves that population so
0: that's great thank you uh, we will absolutely uh reach out to them and i appreciate you identifying that issue and 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 the organization and what they do so, Todd, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the podcast today and many thanks. Uh, and please send my regards to uh, all all your, um, your your the folks that, that helped you and, and worked on the report. It was really uh, it, it's a great document.
1: And Absolutely. We, we and really next time, time you're in town, um, I'm challenging you to a pinball game.
0: Okay, you got it. You got it. And thank you to our loyal Credit Ego Go to Go listeners for tuning in and logging on. All episodes of Credit Ego Go to Go can be found on Buzzsprout and Spotify. Information on our podcast can also be found on my clarkhill.com bio page, as well as my LinkedIn page. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have ideas for future show topics, please email us at creditecotogo.com. Thank you, be well, and stay safe. This podcast is intended for general education and informational purposes only and should not be regarded as either legal advice or a legal opinion. You should not act upon or use this publication or any of its contents for any specific situation. Recipients are cautioned to obtain legal advice from their legal counsel with respect to any decision or course of action contemplated in a specific situation. Clark Hill PLC and its attorneys provide legal advice only after establishing an attorney-client relationship through a written attorney-client engagement agreement. This recording does not establish an attorney-client relationship with any recipient.